Good morning. Thank you, Carter, for praying. Beautiful baptisms. I think that represents so much the heart of Orchard, to not only baptize a baby, but baptize a college student at the same time in a really cool way, literally cool. I'm sure this morning I was like, oh. So what does God want us to do with our lives? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Well, for Chuck and me, this is my husband. I actually do have a real-life husband. I don't just talk about him. I'm actually married to him. 26 years. Uh, this could be the end of it right here, but I don't think so. We actually met in college. That's a long story. Um, so this question, what does God want us to do with our lives? For almost the first decade of our marriage, actually for the entire first decade, paralyzed Chuck and me. And we want to share a little bit of our story this morning um, to hopefully encourage you um, so that you won't get stuck like we did so badly. And it's quite a miracle that we even both just got ready together in the same bathroom this morning. I mean, there was a huge threat that I was going to burn my neck with the curling iron and then have to explain to you what that was on my neck. So I'm super happy that I'm not doing that right now. So we're kicking off this new series. It's going to be four weeks long. It's called Whatever You Do. Whatever you do, and and we're going to unpack and explore this idea together that too many of us, we've either been taught or we've come to see life this way, a little bit like this um, picture that's about to come up. We kind of see life like a pie, where every part of our life has its own little section. It's neat and tidy and organized. And if you notice, God is just one piece in this pie amongst many other pieces You know, and they never really cross over into each other. And God, you know, appears to be just one more thing in our busy, full lives. This is the way I think that too many of us view life as if there really was a God section, a family section, a work section, a finance section, you know. When all of Scripture, all of Scripture really paints a much more holistic, organic kind of a picture. Um, a little bit more like this. We call this the donut. If the first one was the pie, this one is the donut. Um, we were hungry that day, I think, or something. Um, where really the truth of the matter is there's no God section. God is in the center of it all. And everything flows out of who he is and how he empowers us and how he teaches us to live. And we're going to spend these next four weeks taking dead seriously this writing of Paul to the church, the Colossian church. Chapter 3, starting with verse 17 in, in the book of Colossians. Just think about what he's saying here. Paul writes this. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he he gives some more instruction to them and he comes back to this idea, kind of like a parent. When you want your kids to get it, you keep saying it over and over and over again. He comes back to it and he says this in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, as Christ's followers, every part of our life is God's. Every part of it. To be lived in his presence 
and through his power and for his purposes. He is in the center of it all and he flows out into every part of our life. He is never just one piece of a bigger pie. And really the difference for us between living life in a segmented, compartmentalized pie kind of a way where we think God is just in his own little category carrying only about religious stuff and church stuff. The difference between living that way and living a life with God at the very center as the driving force of all things, the difference is really just a matter of right thinking. It's a matter of staying awake to the truth of Scripture. It's a matter of vision. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, David writes in Psalm 139. If I go to the grocery store, you are there. When I sit in the bleachers at a football game, you are there. When I drive a school bus or I'm home raising kids or I sit in the corner office at a bank, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Oh, I made that up. You guys know I did. But what was David saying in that psalm? All of 139. He's saying God is everywhere. There is no pie. Everything is his. And he is with us at all times. As Paul says in Acts 17, in him we live and we move and we have our being. We're the ones who pretend that our day-to-day life is over here. And that God is over there somewhere. We're the makers of the pie. And now one of the places um, we believe from experience, one of the places where human beings have done this kind of dividing most powerfully and I think most dangerously is in the way that we view our work, our daily work, whether that's paid work or unpaid work, It doesn't matter, but our daily work, whatever that is. Many of us have been led to believe that there's work that is Christian and work that is not Christian, that there's work that is sacred and work that is just secular, that there is work that God cares about and that, and there's work that God could care less about. And we are living testimony, both Chuck and I, of this kind of thinking. But God didn't leave us there, thanks be to Him. And we share our story of struggle and ultimate recovery in the hopes that it will encourage all of us, you know, wherever we are in our journey, to, to, to remember the everywhereness of God. I made that word up too. I made up the psalm. I made up the word. Just go with me here. Uh, God is everywhere. And so Chuck's going to talk a little bit. Chuck, will you talk a little bit now about, um, tell us a little bit about your story, both in college and then coming out of college and how you struggle with that. And I'm jealous that you get the microphone that works. Go. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Finally, after 13 years. <laughs> I get to speak at church. <laughs> All through junior high and high school and college and really beyond, I earnestly prayed that God would show me what to do with my life. I committed to doing whatever God had in mind. Uh, At first, early on, I thought perhaps that would be ministry. And I believe we have a slide here. Here we are. This is our high school vacation Bible school ministry team. Any guesses who I am? Ron Burgundy. (laughs) I wish I was Ron Burgundy. 
<laughs> I'm the butterfly. Now you know why I fell for him. <laughs> During college, I went on a summer mission trip to South Carolina. Yeah, you could take that off any time. <laughs> I found a job landscaping during the day, planting trees, mowing lawns, that kind of thing. And in the evening, we did beach evangelism. I almost got kicked off the project uh, because my work hours caused me occasionally to be late for evening events. Apparently, those in charge of the project wanted us to learn how hard it is to work all day and then only find time to do God's work in the evening. I was being taught that daily work was simply a nuisance and that got in the way of my my real work for God and that God had no real interest in my daily work. But back on the college campus, I I loved studying economics and I went to work for a financial firm after graduation right after Alice and I were married. I enjoyed the work and I did well, but because of what I was taught in my earlier years of faith about work and God, I agonized over what I was supposed to do. What meaningful career, what wonderful plan God had for my life. I couldn't see how this job fit with what I had been taught and what constituted God's work. So one night, early in our marriage, Alice found me outside, lying on the sidewalk, just staring at the sky, trying to make it all make sense. That must have been disconcerting. What have I married? We later made the decision for me to head to seminary going to fulfill this idea that if I I really wanted to follow Jesus, I needed to become a pastor. Plus, Alice's grandpa kept telling me that he believed God was calling me to a church in the Southwest, into the church, into church work. Funny, I think he was right about the whole call thing, but he was wrong about which person in our marriage. Well, you you can't be right all the time. At seminary, I did take a class on leadership from the same guy who was behind some of Orchard Hill's leadership uh, class material. And I realized in the midst of that that I was not called into professional ministry, but into the ministry of the marketplace. I got a more true picture of God's heart. God just wanted me to be his. And I could serve him in my daily work in whatever that was, particularly if I was utilizing the strengths and passions and gifts that God had given me in the first place. It still took me a while to find my niche. Life can be difficult. But after 10 years, uh, but 10 years after leaving the financial industry, I was back to where I started and really should have stayed. Uh, But because of skewed thinking about faith and work, it took me 10 years to get back to the kind of work that I believe God had designed me for from the very beginning. Helping people with their money. That was 15 years ago. It was about the same time that Alice started working in the church. Thank you. And, you know, (laughs) what was happening during that whole time was we decided also to have three kids and buy a house. So by this time, with both of us not knowing what we wanted to do with our lives, we had three kids and a mortgage. So we both kind of looked at each other and said, somebody in here is going to have to get themselves a job. You know, I picked Chuck, so that worked really well. (laughs) So, I mean, we can laugh about it now, but this was really agonizing for the two of us. And so, you know, I, I asked the question, where did this idea come from? that God doesn't care about work, if it isn't in the church or in the religious field. Where did this idea come from that daily work is just a nuisance, that we need to get out of the way so that we can really serve God? The interesting thing about this is that it comes right out of church history. The church, prior to the Reformation, believed 
that it alone, exclusively, just the church, was God's kingdom on this earth. And therefore, only work in and for the church could qualify as God's work. So the work done by a monk or the priest or the nuns was called perfect, which is a kind of a humble description of one's work, don't you think? I know, I'll call my work perfect. While all the work outside the church was called permitted, permitted work, as if God was like, okay, if you want to be a farmer to help feed the world, including all these monks in here, whatever, I'll permit it. Too bad it's not perfect, though. I mean, I know it's not, that's not how it played out, but I'm sure that must have been how it felt. And here's the really insidious thing. Here's where the power was. It was widely believed that the monks and the nuns and the priests could actually secure their salvation by beginning to work for the church, by becoming part of the religious order, which is an awesome signing bonus, if you think. You know, come work for us. We'll punch your ticket to heaven. It's all good. But that was the world that Martin Luther stepped into in in 1520. And he writes this stunning slam of the church, especially on the issue of salvation by faith. And, And interestingly enough, we don't talk about this enough, I don't think. That treatise that he wrote deeply impacted as well his view on work and how God sees our work. And so here's just a few sentences from what Martin Luther wrote. He said, the work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous or difficult they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic labor in the fields or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or a priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. Bam! Martin Luther, stake in the ground. The monks and the priests were thinking, oh, no, you didn't write that, Martin Luther. No wonder he was excommunicated. Booted! You know, because he pulled the cover back on the whole mythology. Luther even went as far as to say, you might want to write this down, that God and the angels smile when a man changes a diaper. True story. Chuck got a lot of smiles when we had three little babies because he could wrap a diaper high and tight, crisp, everything was all taped good, held it all in there. You were good at it. But anyway, that's a side note. (laughs) But here's what Luther was saying. Here's what Luther was saying, and he's, exa- he's mimicking, he's mirroring exactly what Paul wrote. It all counts. It's all God's work, whatever you do. Of course, there are reasonable limitations. Not all things we call work are sacred. I w- this is a true story. I was reading one pastor uh, who was telling a bit of a story about a guy he knew who was a male stripper. I'm sorry for even bringing that up in church. True story. Who tried to claim that he did his work for Jesus. No, 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 he did not. There are some things even Jesus doesn't want you to do for him, okay? There are things that are outside God's moral law, okay? Everything out there has to stay out there, but everything within God's moral law is his. It's God's work. And so much of what tripped Chuck and me up in our early years together, because though, you know, this is mostly Chuck's story, I was right in there with him too 
What was tripping us up was pre-Reformation hangover stuff. We forgot the Reformation happened. But we live post-Reformation. And so we no longer see my work in the church as perfect and Chuck's in the financial sector as permitted. Right? So Chuck, talk a little bit about um, how you see your work now. Okay? Though you are, of course, perfect in every way. Oh, stop yourself. <laughs> Brownie points. I'm still not making you laugh. You're still talking. Yeah, you're still talking with your hands, even though I'm you're, trying, maybe you're going I'm double. Trying, I'm yeah. trying. Sorry. Yeah, right. It's good. Well, first of all, work is good, even though it was cursed at the fall. So, work is good, even though cursed at the fall. The opening scene of the Bible has God hard at work, separating, designing, fashioning, creating the world. And humanity is immediately invited into partnership with God in this work. The gift of work, uh, the gift of work is a part of our dignity as creatures made in God's image. Work is not the result of sin, although it has been cursed by sin. Sometimes work is rough, boring, monotonous, frustrating. Nonetheless, the revolutionary message of the Bible is that work is good. We were created to work, and our work has meaning to God. So my work, though not in the church, is not a nuisance and gets in the way of my service to God. My work is one of the most powerful ways in which I'm able to partner with God. It's a primary way in which I love God and love my neighbor and love my community. Second, I realize it is critical that I know and accept how God made me. I really do listen to my wife. And if you recall, she has quoted Thomas Merton many times here, and it has really struck me. A tree gives glory to God by being a tree. The more a tree is like itself, the more it is like him. If it tried to be like something else, which it never was intended to be, it would be less like God, and therefore, it would give him less glory. A tree gives glory to God by being a tree. We have a chocolate lab named Stella. You've probably heard of Stella. Stella! You've probably heard of Stella here before, but she is, the most, she is most beautiful to behold when she is running, playing, hunting, retrieving, for she is a Labrador retriever. Uh, that is what she was bred to do. She does not give glory to God by being a ferocious guard dog. And Lord knows, she would not give glory to God by being a cat. She is a lab. Now similarly, I don't give God glory by trying to be someone or something I am not. I don't give God glory by trying to be Alice. And Alice would not give God glory by trying to be me. But by embracing who he created me to be, which is someone who loves finance, is good with numbers, who loves to help people with their money, this is one of the most powerful ways I love and serve God and bring him glory. I have much less angst about what I'm supposed to do with my life, though I never did get that bolt of lightning answer. What I did get, God has shown me what to do through my strengths and interests and passions. And as the prophet Micah says, God has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Third, I try to be diligent in my work and pursue excellence as best I can. God's work is excellent and God calls us to be a part of that excellent work. Whatever you do, do it all in in Jesus' name. 
Do it with all your heart. When Paul says we should do everything in Jesus' name, he means we should do what we would do as if Jesus himself were doing it. Jesus was a carpenter, and I have to believe he was an excellent one. So overall, this is how I view my work. Even though there are days that are very frustrating, and at times I am not excellent, and I fail to get everything done, and this is part of fallenness. This is a part of humanity's fallenness. I try to do, with God's help, view work as a, as a gift and to be grateful for it. Do my job well, do it honestly, to honor God. I see myself as working for God and for my clients, as well as those I work with in my office. I view my job also as a way to serve my family. And I strive to see God in all of it, not just in my paid work, but in whatever I do. My community service, my parenting, being Alice's husband, it's a huge job. <laughs> Taking care of land, managing our personal finances, including how we give money away. It's all for God, and God is, is in it all. Finally, one of the most important daily practices that I engage in to keep my mind focused on God's way of seeing the world is sitting in the parking lot, in the morning, in the dark, at the Y, because I really don't want to go in quite yet and go for the workout, and I read and reflect upon Orchard's Daily Scripture that I get through email. Now, Friday's was about encouraging one another, building one another up. Preparing to teach with Alice has been just that for me. It has reminded me, it has encouraged me once again to see my whole life as God's. And I hope, it, I hope this all is, is encouraging to you in whatever you do. Thank you. So... You know, Chuck's story and, and, and those people who struggle with the same kinds of issues. Um, this is the reason why Orchard believes what Gordon Smith wrote in his book, Courage and Calling. He said this. He said, we need to thunder from our pulpits and celebrate in the church that God is calling people into education, into the arts, into public office, into business, into engineering, into medicine, into the service professions. Quite literally, God is calling his people into every area and sector of human life. There is no perfect work and no permitted work. But when done in faith and for the glory of God, it is all his work. This is the message of Colossians 3. It all counts. God is not interested in our spiritual life and uninterested in our work life. There is no such division. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Paul says, he is interested in our whole life, all of it. And he does not see our daily work as a nuisance, something we have to get out of the way so that we can get busy serving him. He wants us to see every minute of, of life as an opportunity to be in relationship with him and to serve him and to serve the world and to share the gospel and to bring him glory. That is his heart. For all of us. So whatever you do, Paul says, do it with all your heart. As if you are doing it with and for the Lord. And may that be true about all of us. Amen. Let's pray. God, we get so confused about what you care about. And we start to make distinctions that you've never made. And we forget 
we forget that we are called to be your people 24-7 in every aspect of our life. So would you remind us afresh this morning that you are the Lord of it all, that you are in the center of it all. And, And would you remind each one of us, whatever we are called to do by you, to do it with all of our heart and to do it with excellence and to do it in your power and for your glory. For it is in that that we will honor and glorify you. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.